Right. You have been to every goddamn tournament of every racket sport. <laughs> yeah, right. Right? Badminton world, <laughs> squash worlds, racquetball world. I'm James Zug, and this is Outside the Glass. On a warm summer day, I drove out to Ashaway, a small village in rural Rhode Island, to meet with Steve Crandall. Steve's the sixth generation running Ashaway Strings, a company founded nearly 200 years ago in 1824. They started in commercial fishing string, then they added sport fishing and then suture threads for surgeries. His father got Ashaway into tennis strings, and today they do strings for badminton, racquetball, archery, kites, and of course, squash. Steve picked up squash at St. Paul's, went to Trinity, graduating in 1974. He was an active squash player and survived playing league with Tom Jones and Mike Riley. Here Steve tells us why, string-wise, professional squash is about 30 years behind tennis, and which sport is perhaps the toughest racket sport of them all. Enjoy. All right, Steve Crandall, let's talk uh, about strings in Ashaway. We're here in, in Ashaway, Rhode Island. Right. And um, what? tell me what was happening in 1824. In 1824. <laughs> um, in 1824, Captain Lester Crandall uh, was a fisherman off the coast of New England, off of Rhode Island in Connecticut. And uh, he didn't like the lines he had to use, so he started to make his own. And it turned out he made a pretty good line right here on the banks of the Ashaway River. And um, from that point forward, he decided that he was going to go into making lines rather than fishing. Uh, so he got off the water and said, I'm going to Yeah, right. Stay here. People came and said, can I buy some of your lines? And he said, sure. So he decided that it would be best to... Uh, Transition to uh, a little safer, making, right? Yeah, a little safer. Didn't have to get up quite as early in the morning. A little more stable. Every day. <laughs> exactly. what, what, what was he fishing? Like what kind of? Uh, it was uh, tarred cod lines were the first things that they they manufactured really? back then. Wow. Um, but it was commercial fishing. Yeah. You know, n- nowadays we think of long line fishing, but I I don't believe it was long line fishing. Right. It was it was the precursor to yeah. to, to that. Yeah. Um, and tarred cod lines. The first time we sold internationally was to Canada in about 1860 or 62, I mm-hmm. think it was. And so for those that period of time, uh, they were making mostly commercial fishing lines. Yes. And then it passed down to the next generation? And... Um, yes, it passed down to the next generation and gradually um, it shifted from uh, commercial fishing to sport fishing um, with the advent of uh, silk in the pr- production range yeah. um, and the reason for silk was that it, it made a really good uh, recreational sport casting line so the transition was really from the tarred cod lines and commercial fishing in the 1800s to the 1900s when recreational fishing became popular Right, and um, we, we started making um, silk lines. Obviously, at that point, there were no synthetic products. They didn't no. come along for quite a while. So you were dealing with actual silkworms and, and well, we, somebody we, was? We, yeah, the Chinese are the experts on silk. So we would always buy our silk from China. We still do. We still really? use a lot of silk. Not in, in sport fish, I mean, not in um, racket strings, but in medical products. Silk suture threads are very, very popular. 
And the evolution to medical and suture threads came about through the fishing business because my grandfather, at that point it was my grandfather, so uh, he was a young guy and he was trying to impress his father. So he noticed that there was one jobber, distributor, in upstate New York that was selling more lines than most, you know, and he said, wonder why they're doing so much better. So he went up there and it turns out that they were selling them to uh, doctors and medical practices in the area and they were autoclaving the silk lines and using them for surgery. And a, a doctor had been out on a fishing trip in Canada. Somebody had gotten cut, they needed to sew them up, and he used the fishing line. And it worked great. And it worked great. So we kind of got into the medical business, into the suture business, through the back door, if you, if you want to call it that, wow. basically. So that was the evolution from commercial fishing, sport fishing, medical. Now we're, we're about two-thirds medical, one-third really? one um, sporting goods. And besides um, racket strings, uh, we do uh, different types of fishing lines, commercial and sport fishing. We do archery products, a lot of bowstring products. Wow. Um, we do kite lines for high-performance kites or different types of um, kite business. Um, parachutes? No, parachutes like is thicker. Um, we generally go up to about sixteenth of an inch, and you wouldn't want that. On you wouldn't your want to be on that back. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't. You wouldn't want that on your parachute. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why we're more line and twine than a rope company. Than rope. Yeah. yeah. Rope doesn't fit, fit our category. My well, father and our braiders are, uh, are the type he took, braiders that he took when he came into the business. Mm. He tried to impress his. Father, right. who was the one who was trying to impress his, yeah. you know, his father, yeah. um, by getting into the racket string business, tennis, and so what, what about when is this the forties, fifties, late forties after the war, yeah. exactly, <clears throat> and um, so they gave him what my grandfather did was they gave him the upper mill, you know, we have mm. the two factories yeah. here, right? They quote unquote gave him the upper mill and gave him a separate company called Ashway Products. And so that they made all the other products down here, mm -hmm. and he was kind of on his own, if you will, up there. And so he dug right in and started making racket strings and got to be very close to the Wilsons and the yep. all of the different brands, Spalding, Dunlop, yep. Slazinger. Yep. I mean, there were many brands uh, going back in the day. Yep. Well before the heads and yep. technofibers and all those well, people. Well, I was just at the International Tennis Hall of Fame yesterday, yep. you know, in the museum again, and yeah, you see all these brands that were very familiar years ago, and right. um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, so that that's that that was, you know, he got into it yeah. um, that way, and he did a tremendous job, and the company became synonymous with racket strings and. Almost all the rackets in those days were produced um, and sold with Ashaway string in them. Wilson was in Cortland, New York. Uh, the different factories were in different mm -hmm. places. Wilson was a huge user of our product. You know, they got in on, on we were the early, um, got in early on, yep. on tennis. Right. And so I kind of grew up. I was born in 52, which is about the time that they were really starting to get going with racket strings. Uh, but when I was... 12, 14 years old, I was going to the U.S. Open with him, and 
they had the U.S. Pro Tournament, which was at Longwood yep. in Boston. Yep. And then the following week was the, uh, the U.S. Open. It wasn't really well, open. The, well, the, before 68, it was just the national championship. It, it was just the national the championships, yeah. yeah. So <coughs> between those two tournaments, there was a break of a week, and all the players would come down, drive down 95, stop at Ashaway. Then my grandfather would love, love to do clam bakes. So we'd have this gigantic clam bake. They'd have an exhibition in a tennis court. Once he got into tennis, he said, well, we got to build a tennis court. So there are actually two courts up in Ashaway on, on the uh, Crandall Field. Um, were they clay or grass? or? Uh, they were hard court. Hard, hard court. Yeah. yeah. And, and, um, and you so have clay Billy, bakes up Billie there. Billie Jean was like here. That. All of the famous ladies. Yeah. Arthur Ashe, yeah. you know. Uh, and they, they would stop. And it was... You know, when I was growing up, that's I, I just was mingling with the tennis players. Incredible. So, and I mean, we did back in those days. We did some squash. We did some badminton. Yeah. We did. Um, yeah. You know, small volume in that, but the big, big volume was tennis. Right. But then the whole market changed in tennis. The rackets changed. The strings went away from the softer multi-filament strings that were our expertise. Mm -hmm. And that's when. Our focus became more on badminton, squash, and ultimately later on racquetball. Racquetball was only about was it the late '90s, 2000 thereabouts, I think, when it when it actually got started. Yeah, yeah. So, and because of our good connections with Dunlop, Slazenger around the world, we did a lot of international business and in, in squash and um, all all the racket sports really. Yeah. So before we get deeper into the squash. Um, Technology in all these sports. So two thirds of your work doesn't involve, you know, sports, right? Right, exactly. And 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 has that technology evolved a lot? Because it seems like for squash, it's evolved quite a lot in the last 40, 50 years, right? Yeah. So has like, does the medical suturing world is that constantly evolving or like? The stitches that I got 30 years ago, are they sort of the same as the stitches that you know, my son just got? Generally speaking, there are some breakthroughs and sutures in terms mm. of uh, materials, but not in the particular segment of the, of the uh, medical business, of the suture business that yeah. we're in. Um, in fact, uh, the contrary, you know, being, being a medical manufacturer, uh, the quality system is very stringent. Right. And they... Want do the not, same thing. Yeah, they do exactly. They do not look favorably on changes innovation. in material. On innovation, exactly. <laughs> on changes in materials right. or processing. Right. You know, so it's doing the same thing again, again, and, again. and again and again. And getting it right. And getting it right, exactly. And you're shipping around the world, and then you're. Yeah, we shipped over 50 countries, yes. 50 countries? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Are you one of the biggest in the world in this thing, or are there many, many companies like like you I mean, shipping all around the I world? I think we're the probably the biggest independent, but Ethicon Johnson and Johnson is the world leader in suture threads, and okay. they they produce their own, so they are eighty percent of the market. Okay. So there are a few other competitors around the world. But I would dare say we're probably the biggest independent suppliers of sutures. So what about technology for archery or badminton? All that's evolving constantly, Yeah, right? that's evolving. They're always looking for new products. Yeah. And, 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 um, fishing. I mean, fishing, all right, yeah. exactly. So the only product where we have our own brand is the racket strip product. Really? 
In, in archery, we have a partner whose name I won't mention. Yeah. But anyway, we have a partner and we make all of their products right. for them. Right. So they come to us and drive the R&D that way. So you don't have R&D right here with people shooting right. targets exactly. and saying, okay, what happened with this one? Right. The only place we do our own marketing and therefore R&D mm. is uh, Racket Strengths. It's racket Strengths. So that's, that's sort of been my bailiwick since, since especially in the squash, racquetball, and badminton area. Yeah. Because my father was more the, you know. Tennis. The, the tennis guy, yeah. right? Yeah. And he passed away in 1968 from ALS, unfortunately. At a young age. At a very young age, 44. Wow. So I, I had to finish college. Um, I wanted to finish college. And then I told my grandfather I'd come into the business. And at the same time I came into the business, my mother came into the business. So, and then my first older sister came in, then my younger sister came in. And so we had the, the, the Crandall team back running the business at that point. But I've always been the point person for the racket, racket sports. Yeah. Because I grew up playing them. And because it was it just, that's the way it, it happened, really. So, the squash, you know, the, the one of our f most famous brands is Super Nick. Right. And so the Super Nick string probably came out in, I want to say, early 80s or thereabouts, right? So we're sitting here now. 40 years later. 40 years later. Uh, That's amazing, right? That's yeah. So, and then we went through the Super Nick and the... Uh, power Nick and the yeah. Ultra Nick and the Multi Nick. And were you doing that all here, testing? Yeah, right here. Well, the lab testing here, but I developed field testing through pros. Yeah, and I did the same thing with tennis. It just was a much more difficult market because our expertise is the softer multi-filament strings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whereas the market in tennis, because of the balls, the out outdoor courts, sunlight, yeah, all that stuff, you know really went towards stiff, rigid yeah. strings. Now they use polyester strings, which are like right. terrible for your arm and stuff. Right. There's still a, a good segment of multi-filaments, but they're not the same technology as ours. Mm -hmm. So tennis is a small, much smaller part of our business. Well, I would, I mean, when I got tennis elbow, everybody said, well, you got to restring with softer strings. Yeah, exactly. Did and you I, use poly? About, I, I had to ask around. I was like, I need help. Like, nobody had them. You know, they're like, they're just used to the... Yeah, the stiff ones. The stiff ones, yeah. And they watch Nadal or somebody on... But you've got to have a really good stroke production. You've got to have a really good addressing the ball to be able to use those successfully. Yeah. And they change their rackets every seven games. Right. And most players don't. And, and uh, the polyester strings, they go dead right. very quickly. Right. So you're playing with a board. Well, and also they restring them the way they string Hybrid. them. Hybrid. Um, right? Yeah, and that, that, that's something that we can talk about as we as go through yeah. the development of strings. But the um, Super Nick and then the Super Nick XL and all that, that generation is a multi-filament nylon string. Mm-hmm with nylon resins. So it's it's hundred percent nylon. It's got great playability but it tends to, you know, for the pros we tend to lose tension, you know, because they they hit a lot like it. a lot of balls in a rally. Yeah, that's right. As opposed to 
you know, when I the go way to you pro, and I play. Yeah, when I go to a pro match and it's like 40 strokes, yes. 50 strokes right. before somebody gives them gives up gives it an inch. You yeah. Know? Um, yep. So it was about I want to say late 80s then. So probably the 70s was the Super Nick. I started in 74, so Super Nick was probably the late 70s. And then in the 80s, a material called Peak, the trade name Zyx came right. out. Right. And it was, they, they really tried to push it into the tennis market. And we still sell a lot of it into the tennis market. But it's a very expensive material to work with, very hard to work with. And that's why the Asian manufacturers that kind of took over the tennis string business didn't really want to do anything, deal with Zyx. The high temperatures and everything else just was not user friendly for the type of stuff they like to do. Right. So the, the amazing thing about Zyx is it's the perfect string. It's like a gut in terms of the rebound, yep. okay, and the resiliency, the crispness of it, the soft power of it. But it's 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 um, it's a it just is a very different fiber, mm. a different feel, and so it never you know they had Lendl behind it and Warren Bosworth, the great stringer, and everybody, and they had a famous marketing firm in Charlotte that did it, but they just couldn't get over the top mm. because of pricing and the way they marketed the product. But we took it. And we, they finally made it a multi-filament form, which made it a lot more flexible. And so we, our first uh, evolution with, with Zyx was a core of Zyx with nylon outside. Mm -hmm. And that was a power nix and ultra nix. And those have stood the test of time. I mean, most of the, not most, but a lot of the pro players that we sponsor on the pro tour use those strengths because they have that incredible crispness from the, Zyx in the core, and they still have that nice textured surface to be able to cut. cut with it, right? So then, from there, the evolution was, okay, let's take the Super Nick type of string, because the Power, the, the power Nick and Ultra Nick, the pricing's up here, mm -hmm. because Zyx is really expensive for right. all the reasons I mentioned. Yep. So from there, we said, well, let's take the Super Nick uh, template, and let's I I include some Zyx in it. So the newest generation is called the Supernick ZX. Right. And that is the basic Supernick core nylon, which everybody loves the playability of, but it puts the ZX in the outer wear layer on the top. So you still get better durability, and you still get better tension holding. Not as good as having ZX in the core. Um, and that's, that's a really good compromise between the two. It's price between the two. Right. And that's a, a fast-growing segment of our market. Um, and then finally, we were talking about tennis, and you know, I've been to just about every kind of tournament you can imagine. Where, you have been to every kind of tournament of every racket sport. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Badminton worlds, <laughs> squash worlds, racquetball worlds, uh, tennis U.S. Opens. You know, you name it. I've been there. Incredible. And 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 um, so tennis. It was back in 1992, I think it was. We, we made our, our, one of our famous tennis strings is Kevlar, yeah. braided Kevlar. And that's the bulletproof material. And 
a guy named Andre Agassi was over at Wimbledon. He kind of worked his way back. Remember when he almost dropped off the face yep. of the earth there in yep. the early 90s? kind of worked his way back. He was over at Wimbledon. I think he was still wearing his jean shorts, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, at that time. Um, and we made the Kevlar for Bow Brand, which was a very famous gut brand in England, part of the VS Gut family, if you will. And so he had an idea, as far as I know it was his idea, I don't know, but he started playing with Kevlar in the mains mm -hmm. at Wimbledon because the stringers were Bow Brand, okay? Yeah. So he, he went Kevlar in the mains and VS and, uh, gut thin in the crosses. And nobody, he, nobody had ever done that before. Nobody had ever done that before. That publicly. I'm, that I, yeah, that I'm aware of. And he went out and he won the tournament. Right. In 19, I think 92? it was 92, I, I think. I think it was 92, yeah. Yeah. And since that time, we're now almost in 2022, so that would be, what, 30 years Everybody's so there's been like 30 years of hybridization since then. Right. And that's how most of them use the poly, that stiff stuff, and then they match it up with something softer for the crosses. That's what Federer uses, you know. Yeah. Or they'll put the, the nylon, I mean the um, gut in the mains and the poly in the crosses. So do squash guys do that? Well, that's where I'm going with this. We just introduced before the pandemic hit a new string called Oblivion specifically the first hybrid ever for squash. And it uses our, our uh, Powernick 18, which is our stiffest string, great playing string, a lot of the pros play with it. We use that for the, for the cross, I mean for the, the mains. mains, the durability, the power strings as I call them. And then we put, we developed a string called Oblivion that we're only selling in the hybrid package, but not on its own. And it's a white string, and it's, it's got Zyx in it, but it's a softer version mm -hmm. and, and a thinner gauge. So we're, you're saying we're 30 years behind uh, yeah. tennis? <laughs> so, yeah. It could be worse. It, it could be worse, yeah. So um, it, it just about two or three years ago, they started, some of the pros started doing it in badminton. Oh, so, only two or three years ago? Yeah. And it's really been a tennis phenomenon only. And as far as I know, nobody really does it in racquetball. Really? Really, yeah. So, you know, the, it's, it's, it's more of a, I mean, racquetball's a power game. There's not a lot of finesse. And I think in, in the, the dynamic of tennis, and Agassiz is a good example. He was a baseliner. <clears throat> he needed something that stayed stiff. He needed a stiff spring bed. Yeah. And general rule of thumb in, in strings is tighter for control, looser for power. Right. The better the player, the tighter they like the strings. So that's why they like that stiff string bed. Yeah. And that's why he liked it. He wasn't a big volleyer. Right. And he was able to get the spin on the serve with the Kevlar, which was rough. And he was able to get the incredible top spring. He kind of changed the game. And he switched from, I think he won most of his Grand Slams with the Kevlar um, hybrid. And then he switched to Poly mm. in, a, in about 90, I mean 2003 or four. So he went probably 10 years and won a bunch of his Grand Slams playing with our product. And he, he always bought it. We never gave it to him. He sponsored another string. You know, we probably shouldn't publish yeah. this, but... But he was he was he was being paid by somebody, paid else, somebody else. But we shipped reels to his stringer. Yeah. 
and he'd get DS gut the same way, pay for it. IMG would call, you know, and order it. He'd ship it to his stringer, and then he'd string up his rackets, right. and then they'd also string up a lot of promotional ones. He'd give away rackets, you know, at a different events he wants so, so that's sort of where that's that's right where we're at, and yeah. we're going to relaunch that in 2022, because we just hit the ground. We, we it sold for about six months in in England. It, that was our test market. It did really well, um, but then COVID came and yeah. everything shut down. Right. So I'm going to dust off the old press releases and and get them going get in 2022. Going but that's the first hybrid ever in squash. It's called Oblivion. Seems like it should have happened earlier for that elite level, right? Because you get more touch and yeah. more control, and then, you know, I mean. Yeah, I, to me, squash, it makes sense that squash and badminton are first before racquetball because racquetball is a power game. Yeah. And so they, they're looking for something that lasts, and, you know, they really want to hit it hard. Yep. And it, it, it's, you know, the rackets are big, the strings go down through the handle, so you really, you have to can't just throw anything in there and expect it's going to work so yeah. it's a more functional yeah. thing badminton i think it makes sense to mix the gauges but definitely in squash i think it does because touch is such an important part yeah you don't find any touch in in um, racquetball but you find a lot of touch in badminton between yeah. power mm -hmm. and touch it's obviously i won't say obviously i have to be careful but it is the toughest racket sport Badminton, yeah, for sure. Playing professional badminton, is, right. there's nothing tougher than that. Right. You know. I mean, those guys are so fit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and I mean, the front to back, side to side, singles is virtually impossible. Doubles, not quite so bad. Yeah. But there's a tremendous amount of cut and touch and power. Right. And they string the thing so tight because, as I said, they want it really, really tight. So it's it's the diff most difficult type of string to make and make successfully is badminton. Really? Well, because they want it so thin, they want it strung so tight, and they want it to last. Do and, they change their rackets and, every and, game? Uh, and, you know, no, I don't think not so. Not like tennis. No. But the other issue, too, is the racket design. You know, in squash and racquetball and tennis, you have grommet strips. Yeah. In badminton, you might have individual grommets. You might even have frames with no grommets. So it's brutal on off-center hits. So you can't take that concept of tennis of stiff string and throw it into a, a, badminton, a thin right. badminton string. It just it'll last about two hits. So that's why it's a tailor-made market for us. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. You're the sixth generation, seventh generation. I'm six, and my son's you know in the process. He's seven. He's seven. And he's got two kids, two boys. So eighth, eighth is waiting. <laughs> Potentially. Outside the Glass would like to thank our producer, Grant Irving, and all our loyal listeners who have reviewed and rated the podcast, shared their enthusiasm for it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and more importantly, have spread the word by talking about Outside the Glass with their squash friends. And may all your nicks roll.